afternoon, friends. Lovely to see you. Looking forward to next week when I can actually see more of you because of the sitting closer. That would be a treat, won't it? Great. So, as Rachel has said, last week, Toby began a new series for us looking at the book of Daniel in the Bible. And uh, a key that Toby gave us to understanding the book is what the name Daniel means. Daniel in Hebrew means God is my judge, and I think that's a really handy thing to bear in mind as we travel through this book. It'll give us a perspective, a, uh, a framework for everything that happens next. Daniel looks to God as his judge, even when the world around him is unstable and sometimes hostile. And so about three lines in, I have a challenge for us this afternoon. Am I living as if God is my judge. And not some distant judge. Throughout the book of Daniel, we see God actively at work, and sometimes where we least expect him. And as I was preparing today's look at Daniel, I was struck by the link between what God was up to in today's passage and the thing that I shared a couple of weeks ago that I think the Lord has for Kingdom Vineyard, our wee church for 2022, where I shared that I believe this year, we're going to see God speaking to people and God drawing people to himself. And then we, as a we church family, will have the joy of just being able to welcome people into God's family. So without further ado, why don't we turn to today's passage. Can I invite you, if you've brought a Bible or a device that can have a Bible on it, would you turn to Daniel chapter 2? If you've got an internet-enabled handheld electronic something or other, you can Google Bible and you'll find one on there. But as well as that, we will put them up on the screen. I just think it's nice to see it in front of you. So turn to Daniel chapter 2 with me, would you? And uh, we'll be looking at the first half of the story that Daniel chapter 2 tells. Uh, I think it's great. As you're scrolling, in this story and in the Bible overall, the main character is God. There are certainly things that we can learn from Daniel and chums, and from Nebuchadnezzar, though he is not a role model. But the hero of the story, the one at work whose actions we are to focus on, is God himself. In today's passage, we will see that God is speaking. We will see that people want what is true. And we'll see that God has that truth and has power to save. So, I shall read it for us now. If you found it, great. If not, keep scrolling quickly. Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So, the king summoned the magicians the enchanters, the sorcerers, and astrologers, to tell him what he dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, oh, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, mm -mm, This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was, and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, 
you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, uh, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king answered, I'm certain you're trying to gain time because you realize this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I'll know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, can keep his place. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all of the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him, with wisdom and tact, he asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Amen. I'm going to pause our story there, because uh, that's quite a lot already. But how does the story end? What happens next? You'll have to wait two weeks to hear Sarah tell us, or you can just read your Bibles. But for now, isn't this exciting? I think it's exciting. The king has had a supernatural encounter and wants answers. The spiritual masterminds of the nation are summoned and are flummoxed, and the raging king issues a mass execution order. And Daniel and his friends have a life and death prayer meeting where God comes through and saves the day. It's a great story. And as we look at this in more detail, I'm going to break our passage today down into three sections and three headings for my talk, which is this. God is speaking, in verses 1 to 3. People want the truth, verses 4 to 13. And God has that truth and the power to save, verses 14 to 24. So section one, God is speaking, even 
when we might not expect him to and to people we might not expect him to. As Rachel said in her introduction today, we're a church that often experiences God speaking to us through things that might not feel terribly supernatural. A word that pops to mind or a Bible verse or a sympathy pain or an image. Sympathy pain is part of our body sort of suddenly and inexplicably becoming sore. But when we share those things, those senses that, oh, is, is this God? When we share those they become a moment for someone else to say, how did you know? And for them to experience God lovingly reaching into their lives with power, all through one of his faithful children, listening out and bravely sharing, I think God might be saying this. Would you pray about it? I absolutely love to see it. I marvel at God's kindness and his power every time it happens. But just in case we're tempted to think that a church meeting is the only or even the main place where God is speaking to people, this story gives us a nudge to realize that God is speaking to people all the time, even to people not in church, even to people who are under the influence of what we might call dodgy spiritual practices. The Bible has many serious warnings about dabbling with spiritual things that are not God. It is not a good idea. And the Bible repeatedly points us to instead be filled with God's Holy Spirit. But though we, God's people, have strong guidelines for our safety, God himself, he's at work. Even reaching out to people who are mixed up in dodgy and dangerous spirituality to point them to him and to his truth. Remember the Magi from the story of Jesus' birth, the wise men, who astrologers, who saw such significance in the stars that they traveled to Jerusalem to find the king of the Jews that they'd interpreted the stars to have predicted. God is kindly, generously speaking to people who we might not dare to hope could hear him and come to know him, even when no human can carry that message to that person. Notice in our story today, in verse 1, no missionaries managed to get into the palace here. Daniel and Chums hadn't sat down with King Neb and said, this spiritual stuff, these Babylonian gods, you know they're not the real God. Let me talk to you about Yahweh. They hadn't had that conversation. None of that had happened. God does tell us to go and make disciples of all nations, but he's going too. In fact, he's already at work powerfully speaking to people to show them that he is the Lord. I've heard wonderful stories of people in countries where it is culturally impossible to be a Christian, where another religion's blasphemy laws could make going on mission there difficult or impossible. And yet, individuals have had dreams where Jesus meets them, explains who he is, and invites them into a relationship with them. I love it. And in the UK, I know of a story where a team offering prayer for healing were on the streets of Birmingham, and they met a man, a man who had another faith, came and sat with them to receive some prayer for a sore knee. So the team knelt down with him and, and prayed for his knee, and he sat there on the bench. And the deal is that they pray for healing, and then if you know, something happened, then they get to explain to the person, ah, actually, that was Jesus. That was his presence and his power. Shall we tell you about Jesus and give the person a chance to have a relationship with him? Great. 
But this guy just sat there. And so, you know, they prayed for the knee and then... After ages of sitting there awkwardly, being like, do we interrupt him? What's happening now? The guy sort of went, hmm, love him. Yeah, great. So uh, they said, okay, great. Um, should we uh, talk to you a little bit about Jesus? And the, oh, yeah, and yeah, I know all about it. What do you mean you know all about it? Yeah, he came and sat with me just then. We just had a chat. So the guy explained that Jesus had come and sat with him, introduced himself, the guy hadn't known him, <laughs> explained who he was, explained how to have a relationship with God through Jesus, and that the guys on the praying for the streets were sat there going, yeah, right. Okay, sure, great, great. Oh, and his knee got healed. Come on. So Jesus is doing this stuff. Jesus is already reaching out to people. Those who we might not even dare to hope could hear him. Our friends and family who might seem so far away from a relationship with God. People around the world who might seem so far away from the chance to meet with God. God is already on mission. Though he invites us to join him, he's already on mission. And he's absolutely able to speak to those who haven't asked him to be the Lord of their lives yet, too. Can I invite us, friends, to pray for moments to introduce people to Jesus and for us to pray for him to be speaking to them already? What a lovely thing to be able to long distance say, Lord, would you, would you go and talk to them for me already? And so God gets the attention of King Nebuchadnezzar through a dream that King Neb knows has a spiritual significance to it. Verses 1 and verse 3 tell us and re-emphasize he was troubled by the dream. This landed within him. Something about this dream was more than just last night's cheese board at work on his subconscious. He is sure that this is a supernatural moment. He's willing to stake their lives on it. And, you know, I've had dreams that I know are from God. I've also had dreams that seem weird, and when I've woken up, I've thought, well, that doesn't seem necessarily God-given, but I've written it down and I've prayed about it, asked God to show me whether they were from him and what they meant, and I've chatted to people who have grown God's gift of discernment in their lives to be able to see what God often says through dreams. My experience of all of these things is that God is graciously, generously giving messages of love, of encouragement, of information about what he's up to and warning through dreams. I'm certain God speaks through dreams. But I hadn't had one for a while. And as I was preparing this week's talk, I thought, hmm, I wonder if anyone I know has had a God dream recently when a family member of mine who knew nothing of my topic for this week sent me a message out of the blue saying I had the strangest dream last night and telling me what was in it. And it was filled to the gills with biblical imagery, had a powerful message of God's loving invitation in it that was bang on for where they were at the time. My friends, God is at work already amongst people who have a relationship with him and people who don't yet. So I challenge and invite us to pray, to be asking God to speak to people who you would love to hear from him. Section two, verse four onwards. People want what is true and won't accept counterfeits. King Neb is not a role model in this story. In verse 3, we've read that he summoned the supernatural experts of the land and he challenges them to explain his dream. Sure, they say. Yeah, you tell us and we'll explain it for you. Yeah. Nah. 
I don't think so. Not this time, says Neb, and explains his little deal with him. You tell me what I dreamed, then interpret it. I'll know you're for real. And if you can't, you're worthless to me. You've clearly got no supernatural power, so I'm having you all killed. But if you can do it, not only will I know you're for real, you get gifts and rewards and great honor, so have a crack. On you go. I should note that Kingdom Vineyard does not endorse this model of prayer ministry. Um, give me a word of knowledge or I'll kill you is not in line with our values. But I have, jokes aside, seen people make these kind of deals with God. And in my experience, he doesn't usually play along. In fact, a confession, my friends. When Rachel and I were recently married, 2012, 2013, and working out where our lives should go, we were praying about whether we should return to St. Andrews. It sort of felt like it might be right, but also not quite. We would need jobs and a place to live and everything, but we said to God, is this a sense from you? We just weren't sure. So I said to God one day, all right, if you want us to move to St. Andrews, can you show me St. Andrews on the side of a cow? Like, you know, the cathedral or something. Go on, Lord, as I'm walking through a field or something, show, or a, like a picture, give me a cow with St. Andrews on the side of it, which I said out loud and Rachel laughed in my face. But do you know I never got that cow? When it did, four years later, become a question of us moving up here to take over leadership of Kingdom Vineyard from Toby and Carol, we were in a really different place to when I had first put my ridiculous prayer request to God. He confirmed that it was him at that time in other far less cattle-based ways. And I know that God can do anything weird and wonderful. He can you know, make a cow with a print that looks like St. Andrew's on the side of it. But in that situation... He wanted me to walk a longer road with him instead of getting a one-off joke of a sign. This way was better for my relationship with him. In verse 10, the spiritual experts protest that King Neb is asking the impossible. And then they say, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among humans. You can see where this is going, right? The spiritual squad have effectively just said, Your Highness, what you're seeking is God-level power. And they're right. King Neb is fed up with spiritual-sounding wisdom. He is not up for anything that sounds about right. He is done with the ancient equivalent of those Instagram accounts that sound helpful, but actually they're just empty. What he wants is truth. And he is ruthlessly rejecting counterfeits. You know, I get it. I get where he's coming from, and I kind of like it. Which, when I said this in our preaching planning team meeting, the room looked at me with horror like I just sided with a murderous, maniacal monarch. But I get it. I get where he's coming from because, well, I, I was an atheist until I was 18, and not an agnostic, not a polite respecter of other people's viewpoints. I was actively out there trying to save the world and set free those poor, deluded people of faith and show them that science had all the answers and a proven religion r rubbish years ago. That was how I was running around the world because I was convinced there was nothing to faith. And then I had a supernatural encounter. I had an encounter where 
I was certain God was real. And one of the first questions I asked him was, is this who I think it is? Because I wanted to make sure that I was connecting with truth, what is real. This was too important to me to settle for something that might be wrong. Neb knew that it's so easy to get distracted and placated by something that seems about right and we don't necessarily fully explore. And he wasn't going to have it. I respect that. Though the murdering is a bit much. I reckon that the people who you live and work amongst, who each of us live and works amongst, are hungry for what is real. Especially if God has already been at work in their lives, nudging them along. Especially if actually he's nudged them himself through something like a dream or some other encounter with him. When we come to know God and grow in a relationship with him, we discover more and more that his word, the Bible, is true and real. Stuff just lines up. And when we experience him speaking to us and learn to hear and understand what he's saying more and more, we discover that he is true. He is real. He's faithful. And he truly wants what's best for us. And just like King Neb, I am convinced that the people around us want what is real, what is true, what is effective in their lives, what has power to build their lives upon. Which brings me to point three. God has that truth, and God has power to save. In verse 15, Daniel finds out about King Neb's rage-filled execution order and goes to find out what this is all about. And then in verse 16, Daniel goes to speak to the king to ask if he can have a crack at this supernatural challenge. Now, did Daniel already have a sense that God's going to get us out of this, he's going to sort this out? Or did he have no such faith after all, but he just knew this was his only desperate chance to survive? Honestly? I don't know. I would guess a little bit of both. In my experience of hearing from the Lord and of taking a step or of seeing an opportunity and thinking maybe the Lord's going to do something here, it's often a bit of both. Maybe a half sense that requires I'm going to step out. But either way, he got the crucial deadline extension and then went back to his mates to organize a life and death prayer meeting. And then, in verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Here's the thing. The verse does not say, during the night, Daniel worked out the mystery. This was God's work. God's the one who revealed the mystery. God is the hero of this story. Daniel is a model for us to follow in as much as he depended on God and he trusted God and he went to God in prayer. But if we leave this story marveling at anyone, it's God and his kindness, his truth, and his power that this story points to, which is what that prayer that Daniel offers goes right back in to give glory right back to God to say. And King Neb recognizes as much as well. I'm going to borrow verse 47 from Sarah's passage when she does the second half. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries. 
for you were able to reveal this mystery. God does have the power to give the answer that the king is seeking. God does have the answers. God has shown in this story that he is truly, really powerful. And in my experience, in this church's experience, and in the Bible, God is consistently, reliably truthful, faithful. He is the answer the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and the world around us is seeking. Which means that we who know the Lord have a relationship with him. We have the answer, not because we're greater than anyone else or better than anyone else or smarter, none of that. We just happen to be the hungry people who know where to get free bread and we get to share that news with everyone around us who's hungry as well. Your friends and family who are tired of the counterfeits, tired of the try this new thing accounts, tired of the maybe I'll try that instead that this world offers, those friend and family who want what is actually true, you have the answer for them. Those people who've tried this and tried that and want something that works to build their lives on, we are able to introduce them to the God who has real power. And that gift that we can offer them isn't a life hack. It's a relationship with the life designer himself who truly has the truth and truly has the power to change our lives. Last thought in section three, verse 24. Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, don't execute them. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Save the spiritual experts, I've got a message from God. The upshot of God giving Daniel this impossible knowledge prophetically of what the king's dream was of is threefold. Number one, Daniel and his mates get to live. God has saved them when they cried out to him, which is good. Number two, the king knows that God is real. Well, that's huge. In our terms, you know, the leader of the world's most powerful empire, the, the place that we live under, the, the rulers, the government, discover that God is real and will take that into account as they rule. That's great. And number three, not just Daniel and chums, but the other spiritual wise men discover which spiritual power is true and actually powerful. That is a great demonstration of God's power. They also get their lives saved by God, which is a great way of getting someone's attention. So this is a handy triple whammy of God meeting people's needs, showing himself to be real, and showing himself to be trustworthy. So, as we come into land, what does Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 24, have to say to us today? I think, simply, that God is speaking. That people want what is real. And that God himself has, God himself is, what they're seeking, even if they don't know it yet. Whether we are aware of it or not, God is already at work to show himself to those we care about. And I invite us to ask for more, to pray for those people who we want to discover how much God loves them. And I think we can take real encouragement from the truth that God is absolutely able to speak to them in ways that would blow our minds. I also think we can take great encouragement from the fact that amongst all the noise of our world, 
the dazzling advertisements, the shouting matches, even the culture wars, underpinning all of that in our hearts, people want what is true and what works and what has real power. And this passage and I are convinced that's God. Whether the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness or who ache for real meaning and truth or who wrestle with their pain and long for real comfort, the truth and the power that they seek is in the person of God, a relationship with Jesus. And our joy and our privilege is that we get to help people make connections with him. Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us just now. And just before I do, I want to invite us to do two things. Um, Firstly, I don't know where where each of you are at with the Lord, but I would love to give you an opportunity to say, actually, Lord, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like you to be speaking to me. That might be where some of us are at today, and I'm going to leave a bit of time for you to make that request of the Lord yourself. And secondly, there might be some of us who... um, Sure, we'd like to hear more from the Lord, but we've got a friend or a family member who we just love for the Lord to just break through whatever wall is keeping their ears closed to him or stopping them from meeting him. Lord, would you move in their lives? So for either or both of those, I'm just going to give you a minute or two of silence to pray. Father, we praise you that you are at work already. And we thank you for what you're already doing and we ask for more, more of you, please, Jesus. In each of our lives, for each of us, Lord, we love to hear you more clearly, more powerfully. Give us a soft heart to hear your leading and give us a willing heart to say yes and opt in to whatever you invite us to. More of you, Lord Jesus, please, we ask. And for those who we care about, for those who we would love to see meet you, Lord, you know, you know who they are. Would you come even now? Speak your love, your invitation, your truth to them. And bless us with the joy of being able to say, yeah, I think that was Jesus. Let's have a chat about it. And all of these things, Lord, because you love us, we thank you for them. We give the glory to you. Amen.